The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hello and welcome to a special, I guess it's special, episode of The Counter. It's just me today. Charles McDonald is gone. Chris Corman is out. And I welcomed in Seth Galina of Pro Football Focus and we had a wide-ranging discussion. We talked about Daniel Jones. We talked about RPOs and the future of NFL offenses. We talked about the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury. And then we ended with talk about Lamar Jackson and how excited we are to watch this Ravens offense in 2021. It was a good discussion, a fun discussion. And I got Seth to admit that he's never going to change the way that he evaluates quarterbacks. And it's hilarious. So stay tuned for that. That's at the end of the interview. And now we're going to welcome in a good friend of the Counter Podcast, PFF Seth, also known as Seth Galena. Is is there anything else you go by? No, I've legally changed my name to PFF Seth. And it's like like phonetically too, like P E E F E F F S E T H. The the underscore is your middle name. Yeah, and it's like well, but it's like U N D E R S C O R E. That's my name. P F F underscore Seth. But no, P F F Seth is. I I feel like you're one of the best the best football writers out there. Mostly because I feel like we do similar work and. Me complimenting you is also me complimenting myself. And I always love to do that. Never going to turn down an opportunity to do that. But Seth has been writing a lot recently, and he has a lot of good articles, and we're going to talk about them. And I guess I should ask you how you're doing. I'm not, I've am i never like really hosted a podcast. I'm always like the, the guy that's just sitting around on there. How are you doing, Seth? No, nah, let's go. Let's get into cares. Nobody needs to know how awful my life is <laughs> sitting at home every day for – Forever and ever. No one cares how the Herbert life is going. <laughs> the Herbert guy's life is going. But let, I want to talk about the RPO article you wrote. I think you wrote okay. it last week. Because this is something that I kind of was looking into last year when I was writing about uh, Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals. And then, like, you have – I think you, like, really did a great job at exploring not just – because we talk about RPOs. And there's different types of RPOs, right? Like, there's the old style, like, the first iteration of RPOs where – if you count the numbers in the box and if there's too many defenders, you throw a bubble screen to the outside. And if not, then you hand it off. But it's evolved since then. And it's almost to the point where I feel like we need new terms or more varied terms to talk about the different types of RPOs. And maybe those exist and I'm just in my own little bubble. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I can look at because I have data privileges. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when t- when we talk about RPOs in general, one of the issues is the way that PFF charts it, the way that like SIS charts it, the way that I'm sure like NextGen start- charts it and, and all these other companies is you don't have a choice but to like include everything in the same bucket. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, so that means like a screen, like a, a play where the quarterback, like you said, just counts the numbers or not even, uh, get even simpler than that. Like how about a play where, you know, like in the um, in like the folkloric tale of how Brett Favre invented right. RPOs, it's like, hey, there's there's like the, the guy who's covering my single receiver is off at 20 yards. So let me just like I don't care what play call we have. Like if it's a run. I'm just going to take this out and throw it to him. Like that's like, like if we just if, if we just take that, that is 
so different than it's like completely different than taking the snap, you know, putting the ball in the running back's gut and and riding him while for the run play and then making a decision whether to throw it, you know, within, you know, after two seconds of the play has already elapsed. Like that's completely different than the far thing, than any type of screen thing. So I think I was able to look at like, I was able to separate those two and say, okay, well, these are certain types of RPOs and and these are other types of RPOs. So the way I did it was like pretty simple, like pre-snap RPOs. So um, those screen passes, um, you can even look at, um, I didn't separate it like this, but um, you can even look at like teams throwing like go routes. Some teams will just take the snap. It's more of a college thing, I'd say, but like Mm. you take the snap and throw a go route. Um, So I separated it by throws, you know, screen passes and not screen passes. Um, And what you find is like the old school, like you said, you know, you have an inside zone called, but the player who is over your number three receiver who's running a bubble is too far inside. So you say, whatever, we're going to get to the sideline by throwing a bubble and we'll get some yards that way. Like those type of RPOs, which is, been around for so long they just don't work anymore like defenses have figured out and a lot of that is just a change in personnel you know going from having the sam linebacker on the field who um is used to you know playing the box to having a nickel out there all the time you know unless you're the seahawks so it's like now you can you can like be a little inside and still feel comfortable um, that the nickel can chase down a play to the sideline and not let that play leak out for for a first down or something like that. Plus, you know, the corners and the other guys outside like know how to play against the, the blocks that they're getting. So it just it's just been around for so long that maybe we should not be doing this anymore because <laughs> it don't really work. And like the, the EPA per play, the expected points out of per play kind of backs this up. Um, you're just not getting a lot out of it uh, anymore. And so that's kind of, yeah, go ahead. I, and I feel like beyond the X's and O's of it, like, of course, defenses are going to adjust to any concept. But it just, like, goes with the notion that throwing the ball downfield is better than throwing short passes. Like, it's an intuitive thing. If you just look at EPA on pass, on regular passes, and the further you go downfield, usually the, fir- like, the more efficient those plays are. So it stands to reason that downfield RPOs – are like if you're throwing a slant, it's better than throwing behind the line of scrimmage because more things have to go right when you're throwing behind the line of scrimmage in order for it to turn into a positive play. Yeah, and I think there's more deception, mm-hmm. more disguise when we talk about the downfield RPOs or when you're you know meshing with the running back and trying to fool a you know you're not trying to like fool a defense, not like play action where you're trying to fool a defense. But at the same time, that's what you end up doing. And with a screen, you know, yeah, you can you can ride the the running back on a screen. It does happen. But really, the quarterback is like taking the snap and then like letting the running back kind of run through, like because the running back doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And then the quarterback just takes a step back and throws the screen. Well, you're not like deceiving anybody because you're throwing a pass. It's like a drop back pass, right? So there's no deception. So now the nickel or, or whoever it is can just run and chase down that that the, the ball when it when it's thrown, as opposed to like play action, you know, an RPO downfield RPO, like the slant you're talking about, like you can just, you just get more confusion from a defense. And, uh, you know, you see it with, 
there's a the famous play with the Chiefs in the playoffs like two years ago, I think against the Texans, and they're running an RPO slant, and the linebacker has like absolutely no clue what to do. And he's like, they hand the ball off, and he the running back just like runs right by him because <laughs> he's looking for the slant because he thinks that Mahomes is going to keep it and throw the slant. So like there's just so much more you can do. Yeah, the other thing I found was just, if you attach an RPO to a run play, um, and the thing is, I, what I wasn't able to do is is separate those by pre-snap and post-snap RPOs. But just in general, when you attach a, an RPO to a run play, the floor goes up uh, of, of how successful that play is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just like like why not? Like it's 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 such a like a it's such like an obvious nerd thing to say like just run rpos every play but like fuck it just run rpos every play yeah like there's no harm in doing it like that slot corner who could be like we just talked about how you should run a bubble but for the sake of this example and making it simple like that slot receiver having him block instead of running uh like a bubble screen like is that really helping you any like why not just have him have an option to pass well and um, go ahead well i was just gonna say like the why not is really it's really just you know nfl coaching being a little more um you know they don't want to change that quickly and it's it's hard for them i mean their jobs are on the line they want to keep doing stuff the way that it's worked for them and they want their their receivers to go dig out safeties you know what i mean they want them to block safeties and corners and stuff like that and i think that we've kind of found over the last decade that it's like not only should they be um, running routes instead of blocking them because you end up quote unquote blocking them by running the route, but you could even like not have them like literally stand still. (laughs) Um, We saw that we've seen this with a lot of college teams now who are going to this type of offense where it's like, (laughs) you don't even have to run a route. I remember I was watching, uh, Drew Locke in 2017. So Josh Heupel was still the offensive coordinator at Missouri at that time. It's 20, yeah, 2017. And there's this really funny play where they call, where there's a receiver who they're calling a pass play, and it's really just for one receiver, right? Like one receiver has a route in that play, and they, they probably hit it for. They do this a lot, right? And like you can see the other, there's a, the receiver on the opposite side of the field. He's looking to the sideline for the play call. And he's late. Like he probably got lined up late. So he's looking to the sideline. He doesn't see, like, because, like, the play call has already been signaled in. He's like, what the hell's going on? Like, why isn't there no play call coming? He turns his head, and the, it's already caught for a touchdown before he's even moved. <laughs> it didn't so matter. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. So, like, maybe that's a bit too much from an NFL perspective. But, like, yeah, I think just, like, we can do this. We can call more RPOs. So, so you couldn't separate the pre-snap RPOs that that's a simplistic on, term, on but, running plays. Yeah. Right. But so I looked at the Cardinals when they ran RPOs. Oh, I see what you're saying you, on, on running plays. So you don't know how it affects running plays efficiency, but I, I looked at this last year for the Cardinals and I went through all their RPO plays and charted them and a overwhelming majority majority were pre-snap RPOs throwing <laughs> to a bubble screen majority <laughs> It's it's maturity and majority combined. Uh, 
And they only threw nine pass RPO passes that traveled past the line of scrimmage. Nine. And yeah, they, like th- most teams are like that. And seven of them were like successful. So like using success rate, whatever that is, like five yards on first down. I, I don't know the numbers anymore. But seven of the nine were successful. And and Kyler Murray by far was the worst. And it's not Kyler Murray's fault, obviously, but he was the <laughs> worst. It's Kyler Murray's fault. And on RPO passes, you think it's his fault? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you maybe you watch this film. But he was like, I have a chart in the article I wrote where it's like all the quarterbacks on total RPO on RPO or total EPA on RPO passes, and he is in last place by like the widest of margins. Like it's just a huge towering bar of bad plays, and I think that has a lot to do with one. I think Murray has underachieved compared to expectations. Would you say that? Would you, you think that's fair? Like. We he probably overall should be like not just on RPOs or overall overall. Yeah, it's you don't want to say it because like the narrative is like you just want to like stick to the train that is Cliff sucks and he's holding back Kyler. But yeah, Kyler has not been. He's he's the number over number one overall pick. Like he should be a bit better. Yeah, and I I still blame Cliff for most of this. I'm not gonna give up on Kyler yet. I think Kyler is very good, but. I, it's just bad. And you wrote about Cliff. Didn't you write about Cliff two weeks ago or maybe it was a week ago? You write so much. Yeah. You need to slow down. Jesus. <laughs> but about a job, too. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you wrote about how Cliff's like he's sticking to these Eric concepts that yeah. just like one. I don't even know if they're working at the college level anymore. But mm-hmm. what is the issue for those concepts with Cliff's? dedication to them at the NFL level. Why is it even more of an issue at the NFL level? The, the issue isn't like the individual concept. So like, mm-hmm. you know, they run a lot of no hump, no, no humble. <laughs> we, we are <laughs> some great talkers. <laughs> they run a lot of no huddle. Hurry up. Okay. So there's a lot of other teams, uh, though they are like the, the, the highest, you know, rate in the league. You know, they run a lot of like spread formations, like no tight ends. Um, a, no tight ends on the field, and then B, even if there is a tight end on the field, um, you know, not having him lined up, you know, attached to the line of scrimmage or in the backfield or something like that. So, so like, and, and there's, and, and then they have a high, like, pass rate. So it's like, individually, like, I have no problem with either of those things, and they're all, like, part of modern football. I think the problem is, and all those things come from the air raid. I mean, really, that's, it, it comes from, you know, the air raid from, like, you know, nineteen nine or let's say like nineteen ninety nine or, or two thousand one till 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 now. But one of the problems is, and everyone uses these concepts now. But the problem is when you when you put those all these individual concepts back together to form the air raid. I think defenses have just kind of figured it out, and and it goes back to what we were saying before. Like defenses, just like. It's been years, dude. Like the spread era has already come and gone in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. We've talked about this a lot, but like, it is a tight end fullback world these days. Right. That's what teams want to play in because it, it became such a the, the college world, the high school world, and, and even the NFL to a certain degree became such a spread game. Everyone was lining up with you know, four receivers on the field and stuff like that. And so the defense, yeah, they, they had trouble with it at first, but you know, that it's been fucking two decades. So like they figured it out. 
So now teams are starting to play with uh, uh, like a bigger tight end on the field. Like it's not necessarily, yeah, okay, yeah, you can find a tight end who can do both, great. But like you're okay with a tight end who can just block. And a good example of that I find is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of good examples in college, but the one that sticks out to me the most is like what North Carolina does, Tar Heels do. Like they have the tight end on the field every play. Uh, he, I, I, I don't, I don't want to look it up, but like he probably had like four targets the whole damn season, because like irrelevant. Like he's just like a sixth offensive line. He's just there to control um, and manipulate the run game and, and create some more run game diversity for them. Um, and then it's okay that they just have like three receivers on the field who are running routes. And I think the NFL has, you know, the NFL never totally went away from that stuff, but I, I still think they're coming back to it as the spread era has kind of is, is over almost. So Cliff is like, okay, well, we're still going to be mostly this like true air raid team. And, I, and it's not like every play they do run with, um, you know, fullbacks and tight ends once in a while. But one of the issues is like most of it is spread, hurry up. They don't move receivers around, you know, running bubble screens like we were talking about. And it's just like, I don't think I just don't think you can do that anymore. Um, it doesn't help protections. Mm-hmm. I've talked about that a lot. That's I think probably honestly might be the most important part of it yes. is they cannot protect because if you're going to run protections where you're only um, protecting with the five offensive linemen plus maybe one other player, that's just not how modern football works because you just get in a five zero look and run a game and it's, it's, a, over. it's over exactly right like it's too easy to manipulate um defenses are so good at, at, at figuring out your protections and manipulating them that like sometimes it's like instead of like uh you know always having an answer like okay well the quarterback is going to check us into the right protection and blah 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 and he's going to know where to throw hot it's like no well let's just put more bodies to protect mm-hmm. And then we can throw the ball downfield. So you end up with a, with a Cardinals offense that throws the ball short because they're afraid of keeping Kyler in the pocket when defenses are coming. And, and, and I've said this before, but like they're not just coming with five, six players. They're going to they're gonna end up rushing four on a blitz and dropping somebody else out. And so it's the right four. It's the right four. That it's the sending. right four. Exactly. And and you end up with the same amount of people in coverage. You end up with seven people in coverage running like all the all the co- good coverage stuff you can do with that, but they're still getting pressure. So it's like it's it's hard. And so like you're running no you know no huddle hurry up stuff, and you want to play fast. You know you don't want the the, the play clock to, to to get down you know under fifteen or whatever. So you're playing fast. So you can't get even if you're going to run you know five and six man protections like. You can't call in the huddle um, so uh, a nice diversity of these type of protections. Like you can only be like, "Hey, we have this. Th- we can only do one or two things or three things because we're getting the play call from the sideline and we're trying to go super fast." So that it just it just makes it super tough. And then the last thing I'll say, we're going going back to the bubble screen. So to me, this is the funniest <laughs> thing. To me, this is the funniest, thing, this, the dumbest thing, and it'll change this year. But because they go super fast tempo. And they don't move their receivers around. So, like, DeAndre Hopkins played, like, 500 snaps. It was, like, the most ever, basically. I think since, like, Reggie Wayne or something. They played, like, the most ever at left outside receiver. 
And he barely played in the slot, so they don't ever move their receivers around. And what happens is, and you look at this roster and you're like, they're going to throw bubble screens. Again, do I condone it? No. But they're going to do it, whatever, so let them do it. (laughs) Who should, on that roster, who should be getting bubble screens? Not Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> right. He ran so many but, of them. But he's but that's but they don't have a choice because he's lined up in the slot on every play because they don't move him around. Now right. it's not like and Larry Fitzgerald has been a slot receiver for the past like five years or whatever, but it's not a very different type of slot receiver than yes. the way Cliff, you know, in Arian's offense very different than what Cliff wants to do. So like it you end up in this situation where if your answer to you know, where they're their only answer to, you know, a guy is loading the box and, and having to do a numbers count is throwing a bubble screen. Well, that bubble screen is going to laugh at Gerald and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And I, I think we talked about this last week. We we're laughing about how all the, the good because there is some fun stuff that Cliff does and some good stuff, but it's all in the run game and really yeah. has nothing to do with his air raid roots. Like it's the yeah, stuff you're talking say, about, the fullback and the H-back yeah, stuff. 100%. I, I would say, like, he does good stuff in the run game um, from from kind of any formation. I think he does some really good stuff. And he does some nice stuff, play action from heavier sets. Yeah, just not enough. Like, it's just not enough. Right? That should and, and be it, what they base out of. They like, And that's his first year. I, I'll admit that I didn't watch as much as them this year, but I watched a lot of them last year. And his first year, he started off with, like, the four open – and that's like no tight ends attached, no yeah. just a quarterback and a running back and the offensive line in the box, basically. And that's how they really started things out. And they got off to a slow start. And the run game really didn't take off until they started putting more backs on the field. They started yeah. putting more tight ends on the field. And I don't think he's figured out a way to mesh that with the passing game yet. Or maybe he's just so dedicated to this air raid style of passing game that it's never going to happen. But I still have some hope that his offense will get to a point where it's good enough. I I don't know. Like, I think he seems to be capable of adjusting. Like he's always been a guy that I don't, I don't know how to explain, but it's not like Chip Kelly's offense where it was like, everything was the same every week. If that makes sense. Like, I think he has shown at least the inkling. I I think it's better. And I think it's like part of an evolution that started with Chip Kelly's offense all those years ago. Um, where they were, I mean, like they were running a lot of the same stuff that we're seeing, but he at least could like, he just had more. I think Cliff just has more than, than Chip Kelly. But I think you, you, you end up falling into a lot of the same issues though, which is like, yeah, he does have more than Chip Kelly, but maybe that's not enough for the NFL. Right. right. All right. That's enough Cliff slander. Well, <laughs> there's plenty of time in the offseason for that. Now let's go do another guy. See this. This is a tough podcast for me because two off seasons ago, I wrote an article hyping up Cliff when everyone was like bashing the hire. Although I just wrote about his run game stuff. I didn't, I didn't know about his pass game stuff and his pass game stuff has been the issue, but I wrote that I thought Cliff would be a decent NFL head coach. I think he has I been think, decent, but then I also I wrote, well, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I was trying to make it. I was trying to do a segue into Daniel Jones and then you just, well, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll just say like with Cliff, it's like, I think we're all hoping right. that it would be fun. It would be fun. It just like, it just seems so like, it's just like, and this is the thing I wrote about. It's like, it's funny to look at that offense with all the tempo and the RPOs 
um, or at least like, you know, the pre-snap RPOs and, and all that stuff and, and, you know, five receivers in the pattern and stuff like that. And it's like, it's hard to like conceptualize that that is not modern football anymore because <laughs> it always takes, it always takes a few years for like narratives to change and our like brain waves to like the synapses to fire in different areas. Um, but like, that's just not modern football anymore. And I think it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about it that way. Yeah. It, but also during that summer, there was another uh, hill I was willing to die on. And that was that Daniel Jones wasn't as bad as all you draft, you terrible people on draft Twitter made him out to be. Like, I remember Daniel Jones. It was like, oh, he, he was undraftable. He's but he's worse than Will Greer. So I, I kind of pushed back against that because I thought he was decent at Duke, like considering what was around him and what, who he was playing. But like, I'm willing to concede that uh he hasn't been as good as i thought he was going to be not that i had high expectations but you recently wrote about daniel jones and the headline let me find the headline because i think this sums up the issues that most people that watch this offense over the last two years really and they change coaches okay the headline is daniel jones needs to take more risks create explosive plays to succeed in 2021 now my first inclination when reading that is is it a daniel jones thing or is it a jason garrett thing that that's not happening yeah, it's both, really. It's like it's like the worst combination OC quarterback <laughs> in the league, right? Like, just you have you have this this quarterback who was who's like kind of like trained into him from his time in college too, um, where you talk about another guy not running a modern offense. Um, that's like David Cutcliffe at Duke now, who you know. Maybe, look, he might have been, like, ahead of his time at some point. Like, I don't know that far in the past. But, like, it feels like he's being carried by having coached the Mannings twice in his life. Um, so, like, you know, he's not – so, like, you have you have Daniel Jones who is just, like, not a risk taker. He's just going to sit there and he wants to throw short and his you know, low average depth of target for his whole life. And now you bring in – Jason Garrett, who is still trying to like run almost like his, like the, the old like West coast. Uh, we talked about this before. We're not, we don't know if he's a West coast guy or an air Korea guy, whatever it is. It's like, he's, he just wants to run. Like it's not good. Whatever it is. It's not good. He just wants to run like stick and slant flat and all these like short concepts. And it's like, oh, well, that's, it's like a, in a sense, it's a match made in heaven because this is all Daniel Jones wants to do. And it's all, Jason Garrett wants to call, but you're not getting anything out of it. You know, they scored like three touchdowns the whole season. Like, good, man. like it's awful. So, so I'm, I'm hoping, really hoping that they open up the offense a little bit more and just, and just stop. Because one, one of the issues is like, everyone thinks that, oh yeah, look at the, you know, just like do what the saints have done and like throw short, you know, as, as you know, Drew Brees is let's take away 2020, 2020 is an aberration, but like you know, at the, the, the three years before that, 17, 18, 19, you know, as Brees's you know, average depth of target has kind of come down, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, his I know his PFF grade has gone up in that time because he's like, so it's like, yeah, well, let's just do that, let's just like, let's just like throw short and we'll be like Drew Brees and we'll have this unbelievable <laughs> offense like the Saints do. And it's like, the problem is Drew Brees in those three years, like didn't make any mistakes. He didn't miss throws. He didn't miss throws. So then when you look and you, you watch, um, you know, I went, I watched Joe Burrow 
we don't have to get into him. Uh, you don't want to hear my thoughts on Joe Burrow. So I watched Joe Burrow and then I watched Daniel Jones tape back to back. So you have Burrow, who's obviously not a high depth of target guy and Jones. So they're throwing, you just, the difference in both of those guys throwing a slant is crazy. Burrow, it's on the money every single time, giving his receivers ability for yards after catch. And with Jones, even though they're calling these plays all the damn time, I think I wrote in the article they were like third highest in quick game, maybe even second highest, I don't know. Um, he's he's just he's accurate, but he's not deadly accurate. Mm-hmm. So it's like – and he's not like making mistakes. He's not like, like, like throwing to the wrong receiver so much or like throwing to a linebacker or something like that. But like you, if you're going to – make this your offense, you have to be deadly accurate. And it's one of the things I wrote in the article, you can go find at pff.com, is when you throw, like, just in general, league-wide, if you're throwing a slant and you throw it in what we chart as, you know, accurate or, like, perfectly accurate, then you gain something like five yards after the catch on average on a slant. And if it's catchable but inaccurate, that's another bucket we chart, then it's only 3.1 yards per yak per catch. Mm. So it's like, and that's where Daniel Jones fits. It's like, okay, yeah, he's making some good decisions here, but like we're not gaining anything out of it. And they're like, they've been awful on, on offense the past two years. So it's like, you got to force him and, and force Jason Garrett to could get, and you know, they created some all right concepts on play action. They weren't very good at them, but I thought the concepts were all right. And, and Daniel Jones threw the ball down the field very, very well last year. Um, so you just hope that he, they didn't waste a good year of downfield passing um, when they hopefully increase the volume of it next year. And, and, and hopefully that's what takes them, you know, it's a division that is kind of winnable, I think. I mean, I think, you know, obviously Dallas is going to be a lot better this year with Dak, but like it, it's a relatively winnable division and they can only get there if they just start opening up the offense a little bit more. I think that the Jones thing, like he reminds me of, and this is my comp before the draft. It's like a Kirk Cousins thing. I don't think they're like similar necessarily like, you know, like for like players, but like you described it, like he's make he's not inaccurate, but he's also not Drew Brees accurate. Like just watching, there's just something off when you're watching. It's like this, like he's technically making the right reads and the throws are catchable, but like the vibes are just off. You know, like that's what it is with Kirk Cousins. Well, no, let's not. No, I'm talking about are... old Kirk Cousins. Old Kirk, Kirk okay, Cousins. Okay, I'm talking about I was like, going to say, Kirk Cousins has great vibes. No, Washington Kirk Cousins is what I'm talking about. And I think Daniel Jones, like the thing we discount is if you have someone that believes in you, and Daniel Jones clearly has Dave Gettleman who believes in him, and you play long enough in the NFL, you're eventually going to figure some things out and become a useful quarterback. I think that's yeah. what happened with Kirk Cousins. Probably, yeah. I think Josh Allen. I, yeah, but Josh Allen's different because Josh Allen, he was even when he was bad as a quarterback, he was still a useful player. Right, but I think what I'll say about this discussion is just that, you know, become, being a first round pick for dubious reasons, right. and with Daniel Jones, it's like, yeah, he had a good, he had a good first drive in the Senior Bowl. Um, and you know with with Allen it was like hey he's tall and big even though he didn't do anything that resembled good quarterback play um, at position at places where he should have looked like a good quarterback it's like if then you get drafted to the first round obviously you get all the time and money and develop development put into you so there's a chance you become that player whereas 
I don't think even with Josh Allen's amazing third year season, I don't think he's a first round player. Mm-hmm. And if he and, and same with Daniel Jones. So if they get drafted where I think they probably and I don't, I don't think I'm alone in this, like if they get drafted where they should have been drafted somewhere outside of the first round and, and maybe even outside of the second round, then they just don't get this this right. time and, and energy devoted to them to become good quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's that was my thing with Mac Jones. Like I think Mac Jones is gonna need time to become a good quarterback. I think he definitely like has the tool set to become a quarterback that's like considered like top 15 to top 10 range, like that same range that like all of the quarterbacks we debate get thrown into. Like before it was Kirk cousins, it was like Joe Flacco back in the day, but yeah, like it's that first round pick thing like really helps you. And I don't think Daniel Jones will ever just be given up on until like, it's like clear that he's an awful, awful quarterback. But he's going to be given every chance in the world. To yeah, succeed. well, they, they never do. I mean, we could probably, I mean, I, I can't think of anything on the top of my head, but the first round quarterbacks never get given up on. It just never doesn't happen. Um, Josh Rosen yeah. kind of. Josh, that, that's the one thing I was <laughs> going to say with Josh Rosen. But apparently, like, so if you're, if you're a first round quarterback and you, like, are, aren't, like, unliked, aren't, like, disliked <laughs> by, like, the people in your organization. What are you saying about or, Josh Rosen? Well, I mean, I'm saying what people have said about Josh Rosen, which is apparently people don't – apparently the teams that he's been around don't really like him. That's what I've heard, right? Like, allegedly. Um, Yeah, so, like, as long as you're, like, you're, like, a hard worker, quote, unquote, and, like, you you try hard, um, like Sam Darnold, like, people are going to keep trying (laughs) you out at this position. Um, So, yeah. And you might be able to play tight end in in your second – walk of a career <laughs> go play baseball and come back as a tight end but speaking of one MAGA quarterback let's go to another one uh lamar jackson no, i'm just kidding <laughs> but uh you were you're writing about lamar jackson i don't think the pieces drop but you're going to write about it by the time this podcast is out and you're listening to it i think you'll be able to read it on yeah. pff.com uh i haven't read the piece obviously because it's not out can you just kind of explain what it's going to be about and then uh is this an optimistic piece? Is it a pessimistic piece? Are you looking forward to this Ravens offense in 2021? Yeah, I think I am looking forward to it. And it was just like, I think when they drafted first Rashad Bateman in the, this is kind of what I wrote about, but when they drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round and then they went back and took Tylen Wallace in the fourth round, you were kind of relieved and it was kind of cool mm-hmm. because I think late, like early in the draft, things kind of go the way we think they're going to go. For the most part, at least in terms of like, um, you know, getting guys who who fill a need at, at, at whatever spot you're looking at. And obviously that has to do with the fact that if you're drafting high in the draft, there's a lot of needs you need to fill. So there's a good chance you're going to do it. But as we get to like pick 20 and beyond that, like things are just weird, man. Like I always think about like the Saints last year. Um, taking Cesar Ruiz. It's like, they don't need a guard. What are they doing? And then, of course, they just cut Larry Warford. So they do need a guard. And it just comes out of nowhere. Um, Jordan Love with the Packers. Um, it, it, you know, this year, the, um, the Packers took the guy out of Georgia. Like, that's not, like, really a need for them, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, once we get into the 20s, we're always, like, bamboozled by these picks. And it was so nice to see that the Ravens, first in free agency by signing, signing Sammy Watkins, and then twice in the draft, 
like going out and getting the position that everyone says they absolutely needed, which is outside wide receiver. And so they did. So it's like not only did they go and find Sammy Watkins in free agency, who it, like I wrote this in the article, but and I didn't know this, that he had stopped being a, 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 a mostly used outside receiver. And he, and he played the last two seasons with the Chiefs about half the snaps in the slot. But regardless, like so they went out, they got a player. You can say whatever you want about Sammy Watkins. Like he's he probably not going to be that big of a deal for them, but it, it's someone they got out that is fills a position of need. And then they said they instead of resting on their laurels, um, and I use that sentence in, in the article, so I'm saying it now uh, is is they went out and they got two outside receivers. You know, like a guy who I think me and you both think is a pretty good player and maybe even a top 15 pick in the draft, and they get Bateman at. 27 or whatever it was and then taking Tylen Wallace in the fourth round so it's just like it's just like oh man this is just so nice to see um a team do this for us for us the media and the fans right <laughs> that's it, it seems like the Ravens are that team like they do everything they're supposed like they drafted Lamar like that it goes back to the Lamar pick like everyone's like why isn't why aren't teams drafting Lamar and then the Ravens like uh we're gonna trade back into the first round and draft this guy who's clearly a good football player uh but yeah, the, the Bateman pick was so refreshing because, yeah. like you said, everyone was like, please get Lamar a receiver. And I would argue that this is the perfect, perfect. type of receiver. And I would say Tylen Wallace, who I'm not as high on as everyone else, but I still think he's – I think he's definitely going to be able to carve out a role. I would even argue that he is the perfect type of receiver in a different way than Bateman is. But Bateman is – like they needed a guy that could – hog targets that can get open over the middle of the field. And like, that's what he did at Minnesota. And I, I mean, how do you feel about the Lamar can't throw outside the numbers take our theory? I I haven't heard this before. Um, maybe I'm not as in tune to uh, what's going on in NFL media as you are, but like, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a thing. Maybe it is. I mean, I can look. You it. haven't heard that. Are you, I thought you were doing a bit. I, no, I swear. I I am the college football analyst. Okay, I'm doing you a favor by talking NFL with you. <laughs> so, what do you think uh, about Minnesota's offensive line, the Gophers' offensive line? Uh, yeah, I don't even know that. So, uh, <laughs> can you talk Canadian football? Uh, barely. I'm talking about the, the Alouettes signed like 23 Quebecers. So go. Uh, that's cool. Anyways, um, is some, that a thing you see? What do you mean this thing I see? They've made a graphic about it. They made like the Montreal Alouettes made an infographic. No, I'm talking about the number, the outside the I don't care about the Alouettes. I'm talking about Lamar throwing outside the numbers or throwing outside, I guess. Well, I think, you know, I think interestingly, like, you know, they had a good season, but when you look at like the point differential, the Alouettes weren't as good as probably their win-loss record. I think that goes down to like how Vernon Adams played last year. Like he, 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 (laughs) What is going on? Okay. Look, here's what I, I don't know. I have no, I have no comment on whether he can throw outside or inside the numbers. I okay. think that, I think that having this type of receiver who can play outside the numbers is mm-hmm. going to change that because who was playing? I didn't even realize this, and and this kind of, and I wrote this in the article, but this kind of has to do with the fact that they play with so much tight ends and fullbacks on the field that you won't, like you kind of have to no choice but to put him there. But Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, was their outside receiver last year. <laughs> he's and like, a, he's that, a middle schooler. 
Like, honestly, yeah. he weighs like 100. I, I weighed more than he did in middle school. <laughs> yeah. So, like that, again, like it, it they don't kind of don't have a choice because they want him on the field and they don't run a ton of like spread sets where they're going to have a slot, whatever. I get it. Um, but so he's the guy who's playing outside the numbers. He's the guy. So I looked this up, like routes run that I would, you know, I made this up myself, but it's like, you know, what are the receiver routes that X receivers, that alpha alpha receivers are supposed to run? So it's like hard in-breaking and out-breaking routes. The dig route. The dig route, uh, a sail route, a slant route, and and an outside go route. You know what I mean? Like these are the routes that you want your your best player, your best receivers to run, and those were those were all given to Marquise Brown. Um, and it's like the guys who who led the league in these type of routes. It's like Mike Evans <laughs> and Allen Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins and Thielen and you know all, like the best receivers. Whoa, are all that's, the top twenty. That, that's a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jefferson's up there too. So. Um, but yeah, there's like all these like top receivers are are running these type of routes. These are the routes you want. And the the Ravens, a they just in general don't run these type of routes. Mm-hmm. Some of that it has to do with the fact that they don't see a lot of man coverage. Um, but also like they're given when they when they had to run them, they gave it to Marquise Brown. And and an example I use is like there's a, there's a concept that, that a lot of people call the dagger concept. Which is like a really simple, really simple concept where the outside receiver is going to run like a 15 or 20 yard in-breaking route, like a dig route. And the inside receiver, the slot receiver to that side is going to run a post route, like a skinny post route. And the, you know, it's like, so you're reading, you know, high low, like you read the post and then if the post's not there, you're running, you're reading the dig. Well, like if you were, had Marcus Brown on your team who runs like a four, you know, a four, three or whatever you would think that he would be the guy you'd want running the post route because he's going to, he's going to force the defense off. And, and, you know, if they don't, you know, cover him, then, then you throw a post for a touchdown. But because of the way the Ravens had to do things and their lack of like receiving threats, Marquise Brown is running the, the dig route and someone else is running the post route. Well, now you're hoping that with Bateman out there, He's running the dig route. Marquise Brown's in a slot, running the clear out, you know, post route, and that that kind of fits an NFL offense a lot better. I think it just makes you better. Um, so that like I'm excited for that type of stuff. They didn't, they just didn't have a lot of concepts, and you know, a lot of people like shit on Greg Roman. That's fine. They didn't, they had a lot of zone beating concepts because you know they saw a lot of zone. I get that, but they just didn't have a lot of like. like Again, it's like these concepts that are four fucking big dog receivers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like the sale. Like I see Michael Thomas run that damn sale route, and he kills people on it uh, for years. And it's like, like I want to see a Ravens receiver do that. And a sale route is like a deep out route. And it's like I want to see a Ravens receiver do that because they're so bad when they and whether it's man or zone, you know, man. And then when zone becomes man through distribution of routes, like. They are so bad at beating single coverage. So I just want to see that happen next year. Yeah, like you don't have Ted Ginn run the dig the dig route on tag. Yes, exactly. He runs exactly. the clear out route. And they had they had mini Ted Ginn running the But <laughs> but I would say like, are we sure that Roman is going to 
be able to take all these different receivers. And I think their receiving core now is a lot better. Like that Bateman pick for me, it, it wasn't good just because they were taking a player who I, like you said, I think we're both, we both think he's might be a top 15 talent. Yeah. But it just allows the rest of those guys just to fall into place. Like Hollywood Brown's role will make, will make so much more sense this year. Like you alluded to, I think the same for Sammy Watkins. Like if Sammy Watkins was supposed to be the Rashad Bateman, this receiving core it would have been a disaster and then even tylen wallace and then i like miles boykin i think he's a useful player as like a wide receiver four and now this receiving core i think is like it's like that basketball lineup concept where like you want a receiving core to be a basketball concept that can do different things and i think they have that now my concern is is greg groman the coach the offensive coordinator who's going to use this because like your example i get they didn't have any like big name receivers to run that dig route. But you look at that roster last year, like Marquise Brown would be the last guy I picked. Like I would, I'd rather have uh, Miles Boykin running that dig route than Marquise Brown. So does that speak to Roman's, I don't want to say incompetence. Cause I think he is a, an above average offensive coordinator in the NFL, but do you have faith in him figuring this out? And will it even matter? Cause you have Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think people who understand football better than me um, right, have a better opinion on Greg Roman. I just don't have an opinion on him. I like a lot of stuff they do in the run game, obviously, and it helps that you have um, Lamar Jackson. Going back to Cliff, like a lot of the stuff that's like that we think is really cool in the run game doesn't work if you have fucking uh, you know Joe Flacco <laughs> like back there. Um, or even yeah, Daniel so the, Jones, exactly kind of right. Um, who 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 is like a capable runner, Daniel Jones. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's like I don't know. I'm not like anti Greg Roman. I'm not like pro Greg Roman. Um, I think he has delta hand of receivers that just don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I think it puts everyone in their place. So like Marquis Brown only ran like 22 percent of his routes from the slot last year. And it's like he, that's a, we know he's a slot receiver, so yeah, it, like you said, it will everything will, will kind of shift back uh, one spot, and and he'll be a slot receiver, and and I think just overall, like the offense will get better, regardless of Roman calling the plays, because they're gonna have better players on the field, mm-hmm. like assuming that assuming that one of Watkins, Bateman, and Wallace can play. Which who knows? Right, you have two draft picks and 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 and, and a Watkins. So who knows? It really only but takes like, one of those guys too, because they still they, like Mark Andrews is a good tight end, and then yeah, they they still they're not going to change. They're not going to go to like a super spread offense. They're going to run with tight ends and fullbacks. Because I think it's what they do best, and it gets the defense into predictable looks. So like that's not going. I I don't think that's going to change. So yeah, like after I think. Um, I think it just puts better players on the field, and that's good, right? I, I don't think I'm saying anything crazy here <laughs> that have better players is going to make your offense better. So what – like I look at this Ravens offense now, and I'm thinking this could be 2019 Baltimore. Like you're not obviously not going to have that, you know, element of surprise because, I mean, you knew what the Ravens were going to run, but it was still like seeing it on film is different from like theorizing what they're going to run with Lamar as the starter full-time. But I think on paper, this roster looks, this offensive roster looks better than 
Lamar's MVP year? Do you think Lamar can get back to that level? Or do you think that's like a Cam Newton 2015 thing where he can still be good, but he's never going to be MVP good again? I, I hope so. I like Lamar. And I think that it can happen. I mean, they because it's like they, they weren't as good in 2020 than they were in 2019. We know that. Um, they made the playoffs. But I don't they, think the offense was as bad as Pete. Like, there was like a, a slow period in the middle of the year where like a bunch of people, including myself, are writing like, what's wrong with the Ravens offense yeah. articles? But like by the end of the year, they were. No, they were great at the end of the year. Yeah, they were good. Which, um, and I think that's that's what makes like the questions about Lamar's future and like his viability as a quarterback like so funny to me is that it it actually goes back to like I'm gonna bring Cam Newton up because I'm Cam Newton stand and I, I try to figure out any way to inject him <laughs> into conversation. But the thing about Cam Newton is like his stats weren't always good, obviously, and it, but the Panthers' offense was always decent. No matter who was at receiver, it was always decent because you had this freak of nature in the run game that nobody else had and like it was hard to defend because of just because he was in the backfield and I think Lamar gives them that that floor where they're always going to be a top 15 offense no matter what you put around yeah I I I think you're right I think they weren't I think he got better in a lot of areas Lamar um I think he was like a kind of more accurate passer last season so I think Mm -hmm. you can still improve on that um, and you just like, he's like, I don't know. Like obviously Cam is, is a freak of nature it's different. and I'm a, I'm anti Cam just because as you know, my two favorite teams are the New Orleans Saints and the LSU Tigers. And I've seen Cam like destroy it. Like, like Cam, even on bad Carolina teams and even like, you know, the, the, the national championship year, like he wasn't on a good Auburn team. Mm-hmm. And he's still, like, just annihilated my favorite team. So, like, I'm anti-camp. I have very anti-camp bias. But with Lamar, so maybe that that's playing into this. But with Lamar, I'm like, he's that, for me, he's that much of a freak. Right. That I'm cool. Like, there's such a floor to his game um, that, that if he even gets a little bit better as a passer, you know, accuracy-wise and – and then, like we said, the team is just better around him. Now, offensive line was shaky as the season went on last year. And obviously, they rebuilt it a little bit. Um, so that's a concern. But obviously, the receiver position should be better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And I think he can be a, an MVP candidate uh, again. So, Lamar Jackson is a top blank quarterback next year. Fill in the blank. Top I want to say like top 32. <laughs> Don't do this. You wait. So you you went on record saying Kirk Cousins was going to MVP last year. You said Ellinger was going to win Heisman. You said Herbert could play. All those things came true. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but you're afraid to say Lamar Jackson is going to be like a top 10 quarterback? Oh, no. I said it. I, there, I said um, – I don't know if we have a graphic on it on PFF, uh, the PFF um, so, like Twitter or Instagram space. But I said he's – He's an MVP, MVP candidate again because of the changes they made at receiver. All right, I like top it. ten, top five. Let's go. All right, nice. So he's going to be, be better or worse than Kirk Cousins? Well, no one's better than Kirk Cousins. So. <laughs> and no one, and no one is worse than Kirk Cousins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kirk Cousins just in his own play. Uh, that's all I have for you. I, I feel like we covered your the what is it? The last four things you wrote. Is uh, there anything the last we missed? Four things. Yeah. No, that's it. 
Ah, man, I haven't really written anything in the last two weeks. I feel like a bum in my comparison, but I don't have ultimate. But uh, thank you once again to PFF Sets. Well, uh, you want to plug anything? Uh, you have a podcast. Nah, I got nothing to plug. You can plug your podcast. Okay, PFF College Football Podcast. Um, Where it. can you find it? Oh, the f- what the fuck? <laughs> that's always funny to me that people still feel the need to like, like, oh, you can get it on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Like, yeah, we know how to find podcasts. Yeah, like we know how to get podcasts now. Uh, All right. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you don't want to plug like PFF Edge, PFF Ultimate. <laughs> plug PFF Edge. <laughs> you, you don't got a promo code for the people? Uh, no, I don't. I should have actually. No, that, that should be a good idea. I think they would like me better at PFF. Get, I actually got people to the website and, 50, and like paying subscribers. Get 50% off a year long uh, subscription with the promo code, the Herbert guy. But no, I'm going to stop <laughs> making fun of you for that because I was also a Herbert guy. I don't care. It's 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 hardening my character. It's really giving me a lot of resolve to carry on uh, in this in this in this business. I guess no, no. The the football the thing you're supposed to say the draft Twitter thing you're supposed to say is like it. it it's going to make me better. I'm going to go back and review my process and, and no, fix my, I, I don't. You know what's funny though? Like I don't like. Yes, that's good to like review your process, even though you can do that all you probably want, and it's not going to make a difference. It but won't. like. I don't want to kind of actually I like I really don't want to. I like I like the <laughs> type of I like the type of quarterbacks that I like. Oh you know God. what I mean? Like and I'm okay with that. Like I'm not trying to make a living out of like like I'm not the GM. Like it's nothing it's nothing on my back if a player like is good or not. So I just like I like the guys who who I like. Like that's what I want to watch. I like watching football to be entertained. Um so yeah, Jake Fromm. <laughs> Uh, I like the quarterbacks that I like you saying that is probably the funniest thing I've ever heard you say. And I will definitely be clipping that in this, having like a slideshow of awful quarterbacks that you <laughs> stumped more like Kyle Trask and, and Jake Brown. And they were the, I was going to say something that I shouldn't say. So I, I will refrain and I'm going to end the podcast there. All right. Once again, thank you. PFF Seth. follow PFF Seth at PFF underscore Seth. He does great. Do you still do the quarterback breakdown threads? Those were those. That's the pinnacle of your analysis. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I did a Burrow one that I that I gave up on like halfway through. <laughs> uh, love it. Love well, it. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write an article about Burrow. Uh, uh, so yeah. All right. Looking forward to that. We're gonna have you on to talk about that when, whenever it happens. So right. uh, I don't know how to end segments. Later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. The counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.